0: The reading is from John, chapter 16, verses 12 to 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you.
1: So then, I chose a, a symphony that most people perhaps would recognize: Beethoven's Fifth Symphony." And it, it, for many people, even those of us who aren't particularly musical, it, particularly the opening bars, can be f- quite familiar to us now, but when it was first written, it was a pretty revolutionary piece. It was, if you like, teetering on the precipice of a new musical era. It was, if you like, in that, that gap, in that leap between the classical and the romantic periods. And, and it kind of plummeted into the passion and recklessness of, the, of late Beethoven. For those of you who know late Beethoven from early Beethoven. And he was sort of going into, almost into Tchaikovsky kind of style and mode. Really, I suppose, Beethoven's Fifth was the start of the real heart-on-your-sleeve music. But despite the promise of his Fifth Symphony, Beethoven must, at the first performance of this work, have been a really disappointed man. Stricken with deafness, he was already struggling to ensure the sounds that he'd envisioned, he'd got in his head, if you like, were transferred from his head onto the paper and now into reality. Because not only was he struggling with that, but also the orchestra was quite frankly rubbish. The premiere of his work happened in December in a place where there was no heating. The musicians were all frozen and they'd only had one rehearsal. And apparently they were so rubbish that halfway through the performance, Beethoven stopped because he was conducting. He stopped them all and said, let's start again. I mean, how tragic for this poor man. He'd written really spent years on this piece of music and he had to stop and start again like some kind of um, idiot kind of musician's. It was, I suppose, if you like, rather like um, a toddler driving an Aston Martin car. Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. So much promise, but so much disaster. The amateurs having the brief rehearsal made the performance, well, just not really worked out. I suppose what you could say is that Beethoven stretched his musicians beyond their comfort zones. They were used to playing twiddly little hide and things, but now they were playing massive major stuff with all sorts of different sounds and timbre and different ways of playing things that they weren't familiar with. And they really weren't adequate for the task, certainly not with one performance. Personally, I can remember, I used to play the tuba. You know the tuba, the big kind of brass instrument? Yeah, it had to be that, didn't it, really? I used to play the tuba, and I remember when I was a child, I think it was quite sweet on me. We had a composer at school who wrote this piece for tuba, and he dedicated it to me. I mean, how sad is that? And I looked at this music, and I thought, bloody, I can't play a, a note of it. And I looked at it again, and I thought, I mean, whatever was in his head to write these notes down, tubers just did not play that. And I remember kind of a pff, pff, No, it's just not going to work. And I think I felt a bit like Beethoven's orchestra, although I never did find out whether it's good music in bad um, hands or whether it actually was a work of genius waiting for an excellent tuba player. Worship as symphony. Let's get back to the theme. Musical performance is not a mechanical thing. It is an experience that in the right hands really has potential to transform and touch the depths of our souls and it's true that through worship through music we can really encounter God I'm just trying to think of times when you know when you've heard music it doesn't have to be in in a kind of church setting but are the times when you can remember hearing music and it gets you there that's what I mean, that it, it transforms and it touches your soul. Just think of that moment. Walter savage Lander said, music is God's best gift to man. The only art of heaven given to earth. The only art of earth we take to heaven. We hear about heavenly, cl- clouds? heavenly um, choirs, don't we? We hear about music that's going on in praise and worship to God. Delius said, music is an outburst of the soul. We are told to come to God in worship and to rejoice with him in singing. It's something about that kind of transformation, that kind of connection with God. Music was given to us, I believe, primarily by God. Not only for fun, which is good, but also to actually help us to enter Into his presence. And I believe that the Holy Spirit really does anoint worship leaders. Like Adam and Brian and James and other worship leaders. He anoints them to actually help us to enter into the Holy of Holies. Into that presence of God. Being able to lift the veil, if you like, and see something, glimpse something of God. And we come into the place of the presence of God because Jesus made that possible. And that is about our second reading. In Hebrews it talks about how we can come into that presence of God which for many of us is enabled partly through worship and music but also through Jesus.
0: This reading is taken from Hebrews 10, 7, 19 to 25 a call to persevere. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur on one another towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen.
1: So in that passage it talks about how it's possible, how we're able to enter into the presence of God through Jesus' blood for us, shed for us, but also it encourages us to continue keep on keeping on in worship worship then is, if you like, the vital lifeblood of faith. And I think it's brilliant what we were seeing on the screen, isn't it? People encountering Jesus, encountering the Holy Spirit at Soul Survivor. And it's wonderful, there's other testimonies of of part of our group where where people were resting in the Spirit and there was a real impact and, and a real healing and a real presence of God and how they just were amazed by what God was doing in their lives. But for those of you who perhaps have had an experience of that or or haven't had an experience of that, I would urge um, the people who actually had those experiences to keep on, in the sense that they've experienced this, but now what? Somebody once said, it's not the way that you fall in the spirit that counts, it's the way that you get up and serve him. And I think that some people can have an, an amazing overwhelming Lynn's nodding she 's done that many times, an away, amazing kind of overwhelming experience of the presence of God. and then they go away and they say well it 's like the, the lepers isn 't it? They were healed, but only one came back and thanked God and responded you know, to god 's touch at that time. so it 's wonderful to have these experiences in worship it 's wonderful to actually come into his presence and, and really feel that power of God, but yet it 's not just that that falling it 's not just that experience that counts it 's what you do with it in your future. Life life. It's, it's day-to-day discipleship and moving on with God. Let's get back to the symphony. It's music, it's symphony, it's worship, it's encounter. A symphony then is usually in four movements. Because James studied Beethoven's fifth for one of his A-level exams, I know that Beethoven's fifth actually only got three. Well, it's got four, but one's merged into the other. I call that three. But anyway, most symphonies have got three movements and each individual movement has form. Three major sections can be found in the first. I'm going to concentrate on the first movement of a symphony. There are three major sections in this. The first section, as I mentioned earlier, is the introduction or the exposition, to use a technical term. In this exposition... Key themes are introduced, like the G, 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 E flat, that's a theme, isn't it? There are other themes. There's a theme with the, the um, French horns later on, bring another theme in this exposition. There are various key themes or, or motifs that are introduced in this introduction or exposition. And then later on, they're developed, but we'll go on about that later. We know, if you like, the key themes right from the outset. And I suppose it's a little bit like our initial introduction to worship, our init- initial exposition. When we come before God, sometimes when we come before God, we do feel exposed, don't we? We do feel vulnerable and open to him. And perhaps when we come, we we bring to him those things, (laughs) when I paint over in the head, we bring to him those things which are our concerns, those themes on our hearts, those, those things that actually are with us. We bring them to that beginning phase of worship. We bring questions to him. But as God comes, as we welcome him into worship, and this applies to worship here as well as worship at home, as God is invited to dwell in our worship, he is, what it says in the Bible, inhabits our worship. He comes and he speaks to those themes. He begins to deal with the concerns of our hearts. That is, if you like, the first part of the symphony, the first part of worship. Just as a kind of in parenthesis, in brackets bit at this point, worship is not a spectator sport. When you go to a symphony concert, you're largely expected to sit down, unless you're at the last night of the proms coming up shortly. But normally people come, look, listen and go, and they don't even crinkle their sweet packets if they want to know what's good for them. But when we come to church, when we come to worship, We are meant to be engaged in congregational participation. Not I'm expecting you to speak out now, although you could do. If anybody's got anything that they feel should be added to this, go to Andrew and he'll decide whether to feed it back in again. Congregations, what I'm saying, in worship, are not expected simply to congregate. I think it's an unfortunate word, actually, congregations, congregating. Because it seems to kind of imply something like pew or chair fodder congregations, perhaps I think a better word is fellowships. People come together to be in fellowship, to meet with the living God, not just to sit back and and observe. And as we enter into his presence, as we become, if you like, part of that fellowship, it's like becoming part of the orchestra on stage. Now, now, some of you may well not be musicians who feel qualified to actually be part of the orchestra on stage. And that's also true in church. You think, me, me? I've only just been here once. You know, How do you want me to actually participate? But God takes us at whatever levels, even if we can blast out a note on the true, but he takes us whatever level and wants us to become part of the fellowship. And even at the very beginning, starts to do business with us. I quote Mike Pilovacci. Don't become spectators, he said, as there was real signs of the presence and, and the power of God all around him. Engage with God and pray. Don't just look at what's happening to somebody else. Engage with God and pray. As we leave then the first part, the introductory exposition of our symphony of our worship, God then leads us on to the second part the second part, which is the development. In symphonic terms, in this symphony music, this is the point in the music where themes originally presented are transformed. They are modulated to different keys, major, minor, relative major, relative minor. They're rhythmically altered. They are inverted, turned upside down. They are presented in all sorts of different ways with changes of articulation, you know, slurry or dotty. Changes of tempo, fast or slow. They're played as a solo, you get like a tune on its own, or, or then you get a duet, people kind of messing around with it together, or playing together, as it were. And you get large groups, you get small groups, all using this same motif, these same themes, weave together, sometimes sounding like a hymn, sometimes sounding like a fugue, with all the contrapuntal kind of weave together things going on. Generally then, to sum it up, the themes are transformed, chucked around a tremendous amount, And the musicians and the composer use, I think, Beethoven had fun with this this symphony, but also I think he he displayed his incredible creativity, his genius creativity. As we go on to the second phase of our worship, when we've done with the introductions and God's done with the introductions, we go on to development, when God really encounters us. And it's at this stage in worship, when we're really deeper with God, that we need to be prepared to be transformed. I won't do all of the parallels with the musical terms. You can do them for yourself. But we need to see things from different perspectives. We need perhaps sometimes to be inverted, turned upside down. We perhaps need to change our tempo a little bit slower for me. Or our dynamics. Perhaps God speaks in a loud voice or a quiet voice. We need to look perhaps at the small scale, at us, or the larger duet, or the wonderful ensemble, to see that bigger picture. We need, in that development time, to be weaved into God's plan, to allow His genius creativity into our lives. So, worship as symphony. As we encounter in this development section, we're not just an audience member sucking on a crankly, crickly rap suite. We're part of the orchestra. At one time, perhaps a vulnerable, exposed soloist. At another, part of the triumphant, massive orchestra of God. Everyone creating an explosion of cascading praise for him. In this time of development, God really does stuff. And we must expect to be stretched in this time of worship. We come to church not to hear the old platitudes. We come to church to actually get God to stretch us through his Holy Spirit to say, come on, you're doing well, but what about this? What about that? We need, in this stretch time, to allow God firstly to transform us as individuals, but also as a church. There are several times in the Bible when God talks about changing or or forming or making us. And at each time when this is mentioned, the root Greek word is metamorphio. You can think about metamorphosis. Just a couple of quotes, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed. That being transformed is metamorphio into his likeness. Do not conform, it says, Romans 12, 2, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, that metamorphosis, by the renewing of your mind. And that's what happens in worship. That doesn't usually happen happen as you're just walking around the street. That normally happens when you're having a time with God. It normally happens when you're actually in worship together, one with another. That transformation, that radical change that God wants to bring about. It has been said... That when God's Holy Spirit comes, it's like—and I suggested this illustration to James, the Holiday Club—but hey ho, um, like having a balloon and putting the air in it, and, and it kind of becomes useful because a flat balloon's no good, blown-up balloon's good. But actually, I'd like to say that's not just what it's at. Something more dynamic is actually happening than just changing a balloon from size—a little size to a big size. That, in a way, is a bit of a wimpy illustration. Metamorphosis, for those of you who know your ant, and your, well, not your ant, those of you who know your butterfly world, metamorphosis is far more radical. It talks about major transformation from chrysalis to caterpillar to butterfly. We need in worship to actually be prepared to be radically changed by God, to be metamorphosized, if you like. Because if you look at it, a caterpillar can only walk the ground and feed on leaves. A butterfly flies through the air and feeds on nectar. When we come into the place of the presence of God, we're asking him to change us, to transform us from that to that, from something so radically different, not just a little bit of air in a plastic balloon. We're told that he makes everything new. We are a new new creation, transformed from glory to glory. And that transformation is something fundamental, one of the most important things that happens in worship. Transformation illustrated with Charlotte, wasn't it? I don't believe, I do believe. And that happened in the context of worship worship also, that's the first way don't worry, I'm not going to do three points in great length but that's the first way that worship transforms us but also, worship for others of us can be a slightly different experience worship as development can be a time of transition a stretching time in a different way I suppose if you're thinking about the kind of caterpillar um, butterfly illustration it's that chrysalis moment, you know, when you're there and you're not actually moving. You know the bit where they're stuck there and it's stuck on a leaf, isn't it? And and you're in God's presence and you've come to worship and God isn't saying go and do this or be equipped by this or transform what he's saying is i want to do stuff with you that needs to be dealt with in your life. Just it's a kind of a time of waiting. A time of inner challenge. A time of transition. A time when God in worship tries to shape your character. And to be quite truthful, it's not comfortable. Have you been in worship when you sit in there and you think, yeah, I really shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry God. You know, and he's sort of showing things in your life that actually are not right. In this chrysalis time, in this time of kind of transition, it's, it's, it's the point at which we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting for the full fruition, but we're actually letting God do stuff. It's a time when God in worship will begin to perhaps assess your priorities, assess your agenda, and, and ask you to, to think of, your, of yourself, what is the motivation for the reason for the things that I'm involved with? Why do you do the things you do? It's those deeper kind of challenges. Not a transformation, becoming a Christian, but the transformation, the transition when he deals with stuff in your inner soul. It's a time when you're listening to God in worship and he shows you how much you really need his grace. Don't you think sometimes you think you've got it made? You think, whoa, I'm here, brilliant. I'm doing stuff and God's using me. But yet you forget. And you forget that chrysalis time. You forget that time when you need his grace in his life. And it shows you how much rubbish you are, really, without him. Without God, there is absolutely nothing. It's that time when you get back to basics of the face. Of the faith, when you, when you look at the nitty gritty, and, and, and perhaps you look at those old truths, those basics of the faith again, and see how they apply to your life, and you, you realize that perhaps God has got more to deal with you. And it's rather like our spiritual life it, it's, it's a fruit of the spirit, isn't it? It's when, when God deals with stuff and, and he kind of unpeels another layer of the onion. When you first become Christian, you think, Yay, I'm there, I'm perfect, which in a sense is true. But yet, God actually then gets to the next level and the next level and he deals with those deeper deeper things that will actually help him to transform you ever more into his glory finally this um, period this chrysalis time this kind of transition time gives you an obedience check are you actually obedient and living according to his commands or are you really living to please yourself are you living to please jesus So, worship can be a time of transformation, when he changes you radically from one to another. It can be a time of transition, when you have that chrysalis time, when when God deals with stuff inside you. But also, I think, worship can be a time, and this is private or or, um, corporate worship, when God takes you into a different season. God has a new thing that he wants to do with us. And there are times when... He, through worship, will lead us into a new thing. He will challenge us day by day to move into a new season with him. And I think that happens. You can see that clearly in the church, can't you? What is God doing here now? What does God want us to move on to? And I think sometimes, you know, sometimes when you listen to God and you think, that's it, God wants to do this, brilliant, I shall pray for a few weeks, I'll just get on with that. Actually, it's a constant moving, moving, moving thing because there is fresh manner for today. We need to continue in worship privately and corporately to actually really see what God is doing now. And finally, which is good because the children are coming in. We've had the development, what God is doing with you in worship. And finally we have the recapitulation at the end of the symphony. The coda, the end bit. And this is our response. We've seen and heard what God is presenting to us. We've brought our themes and he's brought his themes to us. We've encountered in the ways that he wants to transform us, change us and lead us. But now, rather like I said earlier, it's not the way you fall down, it's the way you get back up again that's important. The response is key. So many of us know in many different situations, not just God, but in many situations, what we should do. But perhaps we don't go ahead and do it and we need at the end of worship to be challenged by God to respond what he says to what he says to us and move forward and walk with him and engage in it one of the most amazing things for me about worship and symphony and andrews shaking his head because it's obviously not amazing is the fact that beethoven used a rubbish orchestra and they hadn't rehearsed and god uses even you and me amen